the Get Naked Live podcast, where we are redefining the strong Black woman. I'm your host, Shirley Hubbard, and I am super excited to bring you intimately honest, sometimes uncomfortable, yet strangely funny conversations and real life stories on how emotionally draining being a strong Black woman can be. Each episode is designed to help you find the courage to embrace your emotional nakedness, define strength on your own terms, burn that superwoman cape because you know you are sick of wearing it, and learn to love life unmasked. Hello, my people. Yes, we are finally back. (laughs) And I know we were supposed to be back on September 10th, and here we are almost a month later, and I am just now coming back. Listen, I could give you some kind of lame excuse as to why I didn't return on September 10th, but the reality is I was scared. Like, seriously scared. I was afraid to release this episode because it's me naked. It's me in all of my vulnerability. It's me and all of the bad choices that I've made. It's me. And so I wasn't sure that I wanted y'all to see me get that naked. (laughs) But here I am taking my clothes off and sharing my story with you because what I realized in all of the procrastinating and contemplating is that my story is not about me. It never has been. It has always been about those I have been called to serve. And if you are listening to this, that means you. So this is me, raw, unedited, uncut, no mask, no facade. sharing my journey with you with the hopes that it will reach you in a way to let you know or that it will touch you in a way to reassure you that it's okay not to have your ish together all the time. That, you know, we have made some bad choices in our lives and There have been some dark consequences undoubtedly behind those choices. But at the end of the day, those choices do not define who we are. So, yeah, let's get naked. Oh, before we dive into this episode, here's a little mini disclaimer. I was redundant. Here's a mini disclaimer. This episode was actually recorded in two sessions. No, three sessions because of my reluctance to share my story. So there will be a change in pitch and tone as you're listening to it, but my hope is that you will pay more attention to the message than you do the change in pitch and tone because it is definitely a good one and I hope it touches your soul. 
I guess I should probably just start from the beginning. And I guess the beginning for me, well, you know what? I wrote a blog about this and I titled it when he chose her over me. In my blog post, I talked about how my dad had walked out on our family to start a new family and raise somebody else's children. You see, for as long as I can remember, my dad has been everything, was everything to me. He was like my knight in shining armor. And in my eyes, he could do absolutely no wrong. Anything that happened between him and anybody was always anybody's fault. Sadly, he was also the first man to betray me and the first man to break my heart. I remember like it was yesterday. He was making one of his weekend visits and we all climbed in the car. We decided to make our, our weekend visit to the park because that's where we went every Saturday. We went to the park and we would swing for days and but anyway, so yeah, we went to the park and I can remember jumping in the car and we were all excited to see him. He had a little girl with him and she looked like maybe she was four or five, maybe a little older, I'm not sure. You know, and there was chitter chatter and we were doing what we do. Being the inquisitive person that I am, I asked, Daddy, who is this little girl? And he said, oh, that's, that's my sister's daughter. And he told me her name. And I didn't think anything of it until she opened her mouth and the word daddy rolled off her tongue. And I said, and I looked at my daddy, I'm sure with a confused look. And I said, I thought you said that she was your sister's daughter. And he looked at, he gave me this look like, oh my gosh, I've been caught. Or maybe it was a look of this might hurt her. I'm not sure. But he looked at me. A little sad, I guess. And he said, this is my daughter. And I swear to God, and I probably shouldn't swear, but I felt like my heart broke in that moment. And we were going down the street, and I said, stop the car. I, I was probably no more than about seven or eight myself. And I said, stop the car and let me out. And we had only made it about halfway down the street from my house. And so he stopped the car. And he honored my request. Because I don't want to go, go anywhere with him. I want to be in a car with him and this girl who has stolen my daddy. And so he let me out. And I walked back down the street with a lump in my throat. And I'm telling you, my throat was throbbing because I wanted to cry. But my pride wouldn't let me do that. My pride would not let me cry over the fact that my daddy had just broken my heart. And so I went home. And I don't even remember what happened after that. But that was the day that I realized that people would betray you and that people would hurt you. And so I think from that day forward, I built up this wall because I didn't want to be hurt. And so that opened up the door for so much darkness in my life. So much stuff happened after that. And I don't even remember having a conversation with my mom about what happened. I just know that my, that my daddy broke my heart. My parents were separated. We had we I grew up, I guess, somewhat impoverished. So there were times where we didn't know where our next meal was coming from. My daddy was off somewhere raising somebody else's kids. There were times where our electricity got turned off, our gas got turned off, because my mom was doing what she could to try and make ends meet, but there was just not enough money. And so, yeah, we grew up.
up a little impoverished and I blame my daddy for that. I didn't really have a relationship with him after that. He eventually disappeared completely. Like the weekend visits turned into every other weekend. Then they turned into once a month until they were practically non-existent. And so I grew up without my daddy. I hated him. Well, I strongly disliked him. I don't want to say hate, but later on, some years had passed. My mom was in and out of dysfunctional, abusive relationship. She did sometimes the unthinkable to provide for us. And she don't, she didn't know that we knew what she was doing. But there were things that she did that I couldn't even imagine myself doing to provide for my own children. But I remember when she got saved, when she accepted Christ as her Savior, and she was, I was 15, maybe 16 then, 15 then, when she accepted Christ and her whole, whole world turned upside down, or I guess got better, but I got pregnant. <laughs> I accepted Christ then too, but I also got pregnant at the age of 16. I think while my daddy left, put my world apart. I was in and out of dysfunctional relationships. It was just a never-ending cycle of darkness. From the moment my daddy left, I was molested as a child. My mom actually married the man that molested me after knowing that he molested me and my sister. She married him because she thought they both got saved at the same time. So she thought that, that he was good, that he had been delivered from that spirit, I'm assuming. So she married him. So there again, more darkness. And then my sister got married and she moved to Illinois because she couldn't be in the same house with him after doing what he had done to us. So yeah, she moved. I was left at home to deal with what had happened to us and to deal with the fact that he was still in the house with us. And so I, I kind of sort of blamed her for leaving me. And then some years later, I got married and that didn't work. It was, it was an abusive relationship. Like I said, I was in and out of dysfunctional relationships looking, searching for something. I had three kids from that marriage. I stayed for as long as I could until I just couldn't take the abuse anymore on top of the cheating. So I eventually got out of that relationship, moved back in the house with my mom. She had divorced that man because guess what? At the age of 31, he actually almost raped me. So there was more darkness. Well, no, she hadn't divorced because I moved back in the house with her and he was still there. And I didn't have any transportation to work. And so he was taking me to work every day. And one day we made a detour. Well, I was dropping him off at work. And so I would drop him off at work. Then I would go back home to my mom's house and I would get ready for work. And I would go to work because he had to be there earlier than I did. So I was using his vehicle. And so, but anyway, one morning we made a detour. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, he would have raped me that day. But I was crying so hard. So he went on to work and then I went back home and my brother was there and and I was just crying. I went in the back. I didn't even go in the den where my mom was, but I went in the back and he came back there and he was like, what's wrong? And I told him what happened. So, of course, he went and told my mom and she called him at work. And so that was the end of that relationship. There's just been so much darkness. This is why I have a problem telling my story because there has been so much darkness. It's just been darkness on top of darkness, darkness on top of darkness, darkness on top of on top of darkness. So I was molested as a child, almost raped at the age of 31 by the same man. 
I was in an abusive relationship. I was married in an abusive, both, both um, emotionally abusive, verbally abusive, physically abusive. It was all abuse. So I finally got out of that marriage. And then I had kind of sort of gotten, gotten my bearings and I was doing good. My kids and I got our own place. And like I said before, I got pregnant when I was 16. So some years had passed, I got married. And so the guy that I got pregnant by at the age of 16, we hooked back up and we started dating. Jessica was getting to know her dad because he, at 16, he kind of had dropped out of the picture, but she was getting to know her dad. And so we got married. About a year into the relationship, we got married and he was a minister. And we had been married less than a year when I found out that he was molesting Jessica, his daughter. So at the age of 15, my daughter was being molested by her dad, who was who proclaimed to be a minister, who was my high school sweetheart, but he was actually an abusive pedophile. I can remember the day that I found out. My mom had known for about a week because Jessica went to my mom and told her what was going on, but she needed to know how to handle the situation in the right way. And so she had called our pastor and he got in touch with the authorities and they told her what she needed to do. She called me one day and she said, come to the house and bring the kids with you. I just, you know, want to spend some time with y'all. So I don't think anything of it. So um, my husband wasn't home. My then husband wasn't home. So I gathered the kids and we went to my mom's. And um, again, this was my second marriage. We went to my mom's and and she called me in the back and she said, I need to talk to you for a minute. The kids rang in. And I remember her telling me and she was like, John has been messing with Jessica. And I was like, what do you mean messing with Jessica? What does, what does that mean? And she told me what Jessica had told her. And all I can remember was running, grabbing my keys, trying to get out of the door so that I could get to him. Because had I gotten to him that day, I would probably be sitting behind bars today. But I couldn't get to him that day. And so um, my uncle came, who was also my pastor, and he, he drove us to the police department because the detective was waiting on us. They had already told us what was going to happen. And so the detective was waiting on us when we got there and we got in and they interviewed the children and they interviewed me because they had to make sure that I had no knowledge of what was going on at that time. And so, yeah, I interviewed them and I didn't go back home that day. I actually went back to my cousin's house until they could get him arrested. So they issued a warrant from him for his arrest. And long story short, he was picked up and we went through this whole process. But because there was no physical evidence of the abuse, we settled for a plea for a plea deal and for a plea, plea bargain, plea deal. We settled for a plea. And he ended up getting, I think, maybe 20 years suspended with um, five years probation. There was a no contact in place and all that. And so, yeah, he got that. And it took me years because I blamed myself for it. I blame myself for not knowing that that had happened to her. I blame myself for not being attentive enough. I blame myself for not recognizing the signs because in hindsight, I saw some things that I probably should have questioned and I didn't. And so I blame myself for all of that. And in my mid-30s, having never taken a drink in my life, I became somewhat of an alcoholic, a functioning alcoholic. I mean, I was drinking day in and day out. I was taking pills to go to sleep. I was taking more pills to stay awake. There were times where I barely even knew that I, that I was in the world. I was not even aware of my existence in the world. I was just going through the motions 
I can remember being upstairs in my bedroom and using my cell phone and I would call downstairs and tell my kids to go in the kitchen and fix me something to eat because I would lay in bed all day long. When I wasn't working, I would just lay in bed. And so I was non-existent. I was not present in their lives. I wasn't present. I mean, although I was physically there, I was not emotionally present in their lives. I wasn't present in my own life. Like I said, I was I, I, I was barely aware of my existence in the world. So that went on for years and years. And of course, I was angry with God because I was like, God, how could you allow this to happen? You allowed it to happen to me twice. And now you allow this to happen to my daughter. And so I blamed God and I went on for years and years and years and years blaming him. I had stopped going to church. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with this God that would allow so many horrible things to happen to one person. And so that went on and I had finally, some years had passed and I had gotten back in church and working on renewing my relationship with God and with myself and with my children and all of that. My kids and I had moved to a, a, um, a better neighborhood had moved out of the house where um, my daughter had was molested and gotten another place. And, and so then I, I, I was working, trying to make as a single parent of five children at the time. I was working, trying to make ends meet. I was working a part-time job. So I would get off one job and go, on to another job, go to another job, which meant that my kids were home alone sometimes in the evening. And lo and behold... <laughs> Because I wasn't home like I needed to be because I, I, I was trying to provide for my children, another one of my daughters got pregnant at the age of 12 because I wasn't there. Well, let me back up for a little bit. Before I, get, before I go, go there, I want to tell y'all how I felt when my daughter, who was 16, got molested by her dad. And I went to her and I said, and I asked her, I said, Jessica, why didn't you tell me? what was going on with you because I thought she and I had a relationship where she would talk where she would talk to me I just thought we had that kind of relationship where I had set the environment for her to be able to come to me and talk to me about anything but clearly I had not and so I I went to her after everything had died down and I went to her and I said Jessica why didn't you come to me why didn't you tell me what was happening to you and she and I can remember it like it was yesterday she was sitting beside me on the sofa and she looked at me and she said I did it for you. She said, I did it for you, mom, because I just wanted you to be happy. You cannot know how those words broke my heart to hear my daughter say that I sacrificed my happiness and my safety because I wanted you to be happy. And what really broke my heart about that was that she wanted me to be happy. But what she didn't realize is that that same man that was sexually abusing her was physically abusing me. I can remember being married to him and, and kids in the bed, sleep. And I, I can remember one night in particular, I was on my knees begging for my life because he had, we had, we had gotten into to an argument about something, but I was on my knees begging for my life that night because he had picked up a bed rail and he was threatening to hit me with that bed rail. And I was on my knees begging for my life. Please don't kill me. Yeah. So, yeah, it broke my heart to know that she thought my happiness more important than hers. And so anyway, my daughter, my other daughter got pregnant at the age of 12 because I was working all the time and I wasn't home. And but here's the deal. I did not know my daughter was six months pregnant before I even knew that she was pregnant. And I just didn't know. Maybe I wasn't attentive enough or maybe I just didn't think that at 12 years old she would be engaged in sexual activity. 
But yeah, so she got pregnant at the age of 12. And I remember my mom coming to me and, and saying, Amber is pregnant. And I was like, there's no way Amber is pregnant. She was like, because I would drop them off at my mom's house for them to catch the bus every day. I said, Amber's been over here. She's been sick. I said, oh, she's got the flu. A virus is going around. Because it never dawned on me that she could be pregnant at the age of 12. And then there were other times where you know how our grandmas and, and mothers and she was I can look she my mom was like I can look at her back and tell that she's pregnant she's pregnant and I was like she's not pregnant mom so yeah I just blew it off I just thought my mom was just being paranoid she's not pregnant there's no way she's pregnant so I can remember one day my mom called me and she said she said look I am telling you that Amber is pregnant and I was like mom she's not pregnant she's like have you looked at her so I got off the phone Amber was outside playing and I said Amber get in the car and come up to the store with me. So I loaded her up in the car. And because I was going to get a pregnancy test. They called my mom Gun Gun. I said Gun Gun thinks you're pregnant. I don't know why she thinks that. But she thinks you're pregnant. And so we are going to go to the store. And get a pregnancy test. I said so if there's anything you need to tell me. Before we get to Walgreens. Now is the time for you to tell me. And she just started crying. And then I started crying. Because I knew that it was true. I was like oh my gosh it's true. She's pregnant. And I was devastated. How could I allow that to happen? How could I allow that to happen? And so, yeah, we went and got the pregnancy test. Went to my mom's house and took the pregnancy test. And sure enough, it was positive. I cried. I cried. I cried. I cried for days. I for days. And I kept going to work. I'm a single parent. And so I had to take care of my kids. So I kept going to work, and my employer, she was a Christian. She knew something was going on with me, and so I talked to her about it, and I told her what was going on. Long story short, I made an appointment for Amber to go see a doctor, found out she was six months. She was already six months pregnant. Even before we went to the appointment, I wanted to get rid of the baby because my baby was five years old, and I didn't want to raise another kid. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, we go to this appointment. I can get rid of it. We can go about our regular lives, and nobody will ever know. Well, anyway, she was already six months pregnant. So that was out of the question. And then I contemplated adoption. And I talked to Amber about adoption. I said, we can do an open adoption. You can still get to know the kid. She agreed. She wrote me a long letter and she said, mom, if that's what you want, that's what we'll do. We didn't get a baby away. <laughs> we didn't do that. My intention was to raise Maya as my own, but Amber didn't want that. She, she, she became a really great parent and she's still a great parent today. But that is not Oh, that's not the end of all the darkness. <laughs> There's more darkness. Maya was born, came out of my hospital, got blessed, and, you know, it, it wasn't a huge financial burden on me because God worked so many miracles, and that's a story for, for a different day. But God worked so many miracles in that, in that regard. So that happened. Oh, my gosh. And then at the age of 18, my son was facing a 30-year prison sentence. So by this point, all this horrible, all these horrible things are going on in my life. My daughter was molested. I have a daughter who's, who got pregnant at the age of 12. Now I have an 18-year-old son who is facing a 30-year prison sentence. So by this time, I'm thinking I'm a horrible parent. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing wrong? What do I do? So yeah, that was just so much darkness. So those are just some of the things that, that have happened in my life. And for years and years and years, I was bogged down with so much bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and just so much stuff that kept me in, in a place of darkness. And then there were, of course, every, every day life things that happened. I can remember buying my first home and I had closed a deal on my home 
And then about a month, 30 days later, I was sitting in front of my employer and she was telling me that I was being laid off because I was working in real estate at the time. I was working for a real estate company at the time as an as an administrative assistant. And so the housing market was bad. She was getting ready to close her business down. And so there I was, had closed the deal on my house. 30 days later, about to be laid off from a job. Had no idea what I was going to do, how I was going to pay my mortgage. And so, yeah, so my house went into foreclosure, but I didn't lose my house. Um, I had a vehicle that was repossessed. I had no idea. So it was just all all that stuff just piled on top of all the other stuff that happened in my life. And so I found myself just constantly walking around in a state of unhappiness. And I can remember my friend was visiting one day and she was visiting me one day after I had gotten, gotten laid off from my job. And I was crying to her and telling her I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. How I was going to take care of my children. How I was going to pay my mortgage. I got to keep us a place to stay. And I, I mean, I was just talking to her. But in the middle of talking to her, telling her about that, I just started sobbing about the day that I found out my daddy had another daughter. And I don't know where that came from, but it just came out of nowhere. So I was just sobbing. And I was lying in my bed. And she was sitting in a chair beside my bed. And I just started sobbing. And, and I was telling her about, you know, how I got a car and she was calling him daddy and, and all that. And she just looked at me and she said, oh, girl, your daddy issues are showing. You need to do something about that. Yeah. And so then we we kind of laughed about it. And But anyway, that night, I was still a little upset about the housing situation. I remember getting up the next morning after she said that to me and my eyes were swollen because I had been crying all night. And I looked at my eyes and my eyes looked so sad to me. And I remember saying to God that I don't want to feel like this anymore. And I remember saying to God, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. I remember saying that to him. And I remember just lying in the floor. Like I walked away from the mirror, lying in the floor. And, and I just started crying out to God. And I said, God, I don't, I don't want this life anymore. I just want to be happy. I want to wake up happy in the morning. And that day, I decided that I didn't want to feel like that anymore. That I wanted to be happy. And, and so I took my life back. I went through, and, and it didn't happen overnight. I went through a process of healing and forgiveness. And nobody walked me through that process. I went through that process on my own. Did I know how to do every step of it? No, it, it was truly a process. But God showed me how to heal myself and how to forgive and let go of the things that were holding me hostage. He showed me how to do those things. It was truly a process. And the very first step in that process was me accepting the fact that I wasn't okay. It was me accepting the fact that I had a lot of unresolved issues, a lot of things that I had carried around with me since childhood. It it took me accepting the fact that I needed to deal with everything that was going on inside of me. And the moment that my friend asked, the, the moment that I broke down and started crying in front of my friend about something that happened when I was maybe eight or nine years old was a wake up call for me. And I knew in that moment that I needed to fix what was broken in my life. And so in that moment, I gave myself permission to fall apart. I gave myself permission to not be okay. I gave my permission, gave myself permission to say, surely, you ain't got to have it together right now. And so that is my message to anybody 
who is listening to this episode. As you can see, my life has not been hard. My life ain't been on crystal stair. Like seriously, it has not been. I have been through, oh my gosh, what I just shared with you is really just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> like seriously, I still go through. And I want to say specifically for the parents who, like I was, questioning whether or not you're a good parent because your children have made some choices that didn't necessarily align with how you raised them and the 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 values and the morals that you thought you had instilled in them. Number one, you did instill those morals and values in them. Number two, girl, we do the best we can with the information that we have and we are not perfect. I am not perfect. I haven't done everything right in my children's lives. I haven't done everything right in my life, but at the end of the day, I did the best I could with the information that I had. So I want to say that because I know how challenging being a, a mom is, especially if you are raising children on your own where the father is not in that home. I know how challenging that, that is. And so I want to say to you, girl, you got this <laughs> and you are not going to always get it right. And that's okay. So I don't want you to walk around like I did beating yourself up about the things that your children have gotten themselves into. We do the best we can with the information that we have. And so that's the first thing that I want to say. And then number two is if you are in that place where you are trapped in a prison of your own brokenness, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to be there. You can get out of that space. And I am holding space for you to help you get out of that space. Like I said, nobody walked me through the healing process, but I knew that I needed to fix what was broken in my life. And that's where the healing began. And so if that's you today, there is help for you. There is hope for you. Whatever situation you're in today, it is not a hopeless situation, no matter how dark it may seem in your life right now. There is light. There is light at the end of the tunnel. So I want you, like, I cannot stress enough. And I know I'm probably repeating myself, but I cannot stress enough that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Does that mean that every day is going to be a good day? Does that mean that every day is going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Because like I said, what I shared with you was just the tip of the iceberg. I am still going through every day. There are there are days, even in my life right now, where I feel like I just want to sleep and I don't ever want to wake up again. But what I, in, in that moment, I know how to shake myself out of that space. I know how to honor what I'm feeling in that moment and then move myself from that space. I know how to process what I'm feeling. And so I want to encourage you to seek help. If you're in that space right now, there are, you don't, I mean, there's therapy available. 
there are people who will support you in what you're going through. So I don't want you to feel like you are alone. I will support you in what you're going through. You can send me an email, Shirley at GetNakedLive.com. You can go to my website, GetNakedLive.com. There's a button on the side of the page that says, send me a voicemail. Send me a voicemail because I don't want you to be walking around unhappy, feeling hopeless, feeling like there is no way out because there is a way out. But we have to tap into that strength that we are all born with. And at the end of the day, we as black women, we as strong black women, girl, we we have to stop doing this to ourselves. Like, we ain't got to have it together all the time. We just don't. We don't have to have it together all the time. And that's why this ministry, this podcast, this movement is so important to me because I was living in that space. I felt like I had to have it together every second, every minute, every hour, or every day until I finally broke. And I said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. And when I broke, see, I didn't share this part, but when I broke, when life got was starting to get the best of me, let me tell you, I tried to take my own life because I was tired. I was so tired. And I was just like, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I just, I, I just couldn't. And so, yeah, there were times where I did try to take my own life. And I don't want that to be your story. Don't want that to be your story. So I am asking you, I am inviting you. To let me be that support for you. <laughs> let me. I, I mean like seriously. I am holding space for you. I am holding space. For every strong black woman. Out there. Who is feeling like. I can't go on. I'm holding space for you. I'm holding space for you to just be. Whoever you are. Whatever you are. In your moment of truth. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to get out of here because this is getting kind of long. <laughs> but listen, just a few months ago, I was going through another traumatic, another one of life's traumatic events. And there I was lying in my bed, crying and wishing that somebody would see me. And, and in my mind, I was thinking nobody sees me. Here I am lying in, in my bed, going through going through this. I, I felt so alone. And I was like, God doesn't even see me. And so there I was again, contemplating, taking my life. But in that moment, I thought about some pills that I had in my drawer. In that moment, I said, you know what? I'm going to call somebody. So instead of me sitting there thinking on those thoughts, I picked up my phone and I called somebody and I said, hey, here is the situation and I need help. And in that moment, she didn't try to fix what was broken. She didn't try to coach me. She didn't try to counsel me. She didn't do anything. All she said was, Shirley, you don't have to be anything right now. She said, you don't have to be strong. You don't have to have it together. You don't have to be a good parent. She said, you don't have to be anything right there. 
And when I heard those words, I immediately began to relax in those words. And I began to release everything that I was feeling in that moment. And so that's what I'm saying to you. Let somebody be that for you. You don't have to go through life alone. You don't have to go through life with your, with your superwoman cape on and the S on your chest. You don't have to do that. We got you. We got you. I'm here for you. So that's my message to you today. I hope that this episode has been encouraging for you. I hope that it has shed some light on who I am, why I do what I do, why this is so important to me. And I hope it has shown you that you can be strong in your own way and that being strong doesn't mean having it all all together. You get to define what being strong is for you. And that's what I've done in my life. Listen, if I feel like crying, I cry because there's nothing wrong with that. I honor how I'm feeling in that in whatever moment I'm in. I honor that. I give myself permission to feel that. There's nothing like, I mean, we, we always walk around here acting like our lives are perfect. We're not perfect. Take off that mask. I remember on Good Time, because Good Times used to be the show back in the day. It still is. I think it comes on on Netflix or TV Land or something. But yeah, it still is a show. But I remember when James died. Y'all remember when James died and Florida walked around all that time for days while they were planning her funeral. And she wouldn't cry like she was being strong. And then when, when everybody was gone and, and it was quiet and the silence was so loud. She threw that punch ball and she said, damn, 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 because her heart was breaking. But somewhere in, in her, she felt like she couldn't let people know that her heart was breaking. So I'm telling you today that you can say, damn, 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 I am not okay. Damn, 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 I need help. You can say that. And there's absolutely nothing wrong. Nothing at all. There's nothing wrong. So take your life back. Take your life back. Stop letting people tell you what strength is. Take your life back. All right, guys. <laughs> Enough of that because I could go on and on and on and on. So, yeah, anyway, I hope this has been encouraging for you. And like I said, if you need me, I am here for you. Send me an email, Shirley at GetMakeItLive.com. You can send me a message on Facebook. You can go to my website and leave me a voice message. Just whatever you need, I am here for you. I got your back 100%. Just know that. So, yeah, I'm going to get ready to get out of here. I have enjoyed sharing my story with you. And, yeah, I'm out. Stay naked, girl. Woman. Woman.